Recording in progress. Hello everyone, I am back and I'm going to return to the Arendt and Heidegger letters. So I actually just finished watching, it took me like a few days, to watch the 2012 movie on, I think it was like written and directed by Marguerite von Trotta. And it is uh, about the 1961 trial of Eichmann in Israel, where Hannah Arendt, she travels to Israel for the New Yorker to write a piece for them. And of course, she's also like writing the book as well. I think that basically what they wrote, what she wrote for the New Yorker was kind of split up and there was a lot of controversy because a lot of people accused her of, uh, because of how she reported on that trial, accused her of blaming the victims, the Jewish victims of, uh, you know, the Holocaust and basically defending uh, a Nazi and, or someone who was helping the Nazis, depending on how you want to look at it. And her idea was that she was just so struck by um, the averageness, the mediocrity, the bureaucracy of this Jewish leader who had uh, who had helped. He was a Jewish leader, um, and uh, so she said that you know only good. This was in the film, uh, so I don't know if this is a direct quote from her, but only good can be profound and radical. Evil is just extreme, but it's also banal. So uh, she said that it was kind of a, a warning or a cautionary tale, basically saying that there's something between resistance and compliance or endorsement or celebration or, you know, perpetuating some kind of evil. It's that middle um, part where you give up your own ability to critically think and assess a situation and uh, so therefore you lose also what makes us human. You know Heidegger was really big on the concept of thinking and making it a bit more complicated and nuanced and it seems like she kind of she was preoccupied with that as well and found that to be like the missing piece in you know human beings when we go along with what is harmful and and we go along with perpetuating suffering instead of stopping it or being a part of a revolution or speaking out with it so even though she got a lot of criticism and people were saying you're trying to turn this into a philosophy lesson she was really making a good point about what we need to watch out for in potential authoritarian or totalitarian situations one of my students actually uh, presented last the last time i taught intro philosophy one of my students presented on this and uh Arendt and her idea of the banality of evil and um yeah so proud of her she did an amazing job okay so and that movie is was difficult for me to find 
So I'm in the States and apparently Amazon said that it wasn't available for me. So I don't know what countries it's available in. I had to go to actually a Jewish film website, which was, was really cool. Um, I don't know if I have money to subscribe to it and check out more of their videos, but I was on it for about a week so I could watch that movie. And uh, yeah, that was the only place I could find it. I think it's on Apple Plus TV, but I couldn't get that to work. So I don't know. Okay, so I'm hoping, I'm actually hoping to read this pretty, it's a pretty slim volume. I'm hoping to read this soon, but I haven't done really anything all day. This is the first productive thing I've done. Um, yeah, so I think we left off with Hannah Arendt's Shadows, and uh, I guess I could just look for my highlights, because I went back to reread it, because it's hard when I'm reading doing cold reading, like reading out loud and uh, I don't get a lot of time to just pause and think. So I think this is Heidegger. What is my... I guess it doesn't matter. Um, this is Heidegger responding to Arendt and her little creative nonfiction basically that she gave him. Alright, so this is April 1925. My dearest, when I gave you the manuscript today, your elementary joy overwhelmed me and made me helpless. I gave you a piece of my soul, little enough for your love, but your joyful gratitude towered over everything. Was it chance that you brought along the manuscript when I intended to ask you for it? in order to give it back to you as a gift. A gift as a symbol of how you will live in my work from now on. With the inexhaustible impulse of the shy retiring affection that has helped you discover your essence with such extraordinary clarity. Since I read your diary, I can no longer say you don't understand that. You sense it, you and follow along. There are shadows only where there is sun. And that is the foundation of your soul. You come straight from the center of your existence to be close to me, and you have become a force that will influence my life forever. Fragmentation and despair will never yield anything like your supportive love in my work. So something I didn't think about last time, I don't know why it uh, escaped me, but just her title, Shadows, you know, thinking about, I don't even know what to call it, meditative circles, perhaps. I don't know really who like owns the idea. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. We'll just say meditative circles. Let me know in the comments what other communities incorporate it. But shadow work. So shadow work is, uh, I don't, definitely not an expert on this. I've just dabbled in it maybe once. Um, but I did like a shadow work meditation once and basically I guess how I understand it is that there are certain parts of us that we repress or that need 
made love and to kind of come out into the light and the openness for us to encounter them and to self-reflect so that we can break traumatic ancestral cycles that get a little is that I feel like that's such an archaic term um, I don't know what's better so that we can start to heal that uh, you know that is within us and so the meditation I don't, I'm sure there's lots of ways of doing this and like journal prompts and different meditations but this meditation uh, asked you to or me, person listening and meditating to think of a time where you consented to something in a way, um, but only partially, something that you really didn't want to do. And to kind of relive that experience and then, um, you know, to embrace it, to show love to yourself and to think about maybe how you might have done that situation, like been in that situation, how you might have acted differently. Um, and then I think there's like three things that she asked me to do. Um, this is just like on the phone, um, like a recorded thing that anyone can listen to. Um, the second thing was I think relive a time where you hurt somebody and you didn't know that you did that you you that wasn't intentional I guess and to relive how that felt to experience someone else t telling you that they hurt you and then I think maybe the third one was when you intentionally either hurt someone or wanted to hurt someone obviously it doesn't have to mean physically it could mean like emotionally or you were revengeful or mad or something so some of those were easier than others for me to just kind of like remember examples but it was it affected me quite deeply i mean i don't i don't know this could just be i don't know if this is everybody but i'm sure many people um like like are weeping and crying and it's a it's a very like i think when you're doing shadow work you can get into some kind of panic and you really need to know when you should get out of it and ground yourself so it doesn't like traumatize you for the rest of the day and you don't, um, you know, I don't think you can do it all in like one 15 meditation, minute meditation or however it is, but I think it's interesting. So when Heidegger says there is no shadow without sun, that's a big part of shadow work. It's bringing what you have allowed to be in the shadow or you didn't know was in the shadow, almost as if they were wounded children and you're asking them to come out and you're, you know, telling them that, you know, you're beautiful and I love you and I see you beneath the, the dirt and the grime or however you imagine your shadow children, I guess, that are inside of you. And whatever it is, I guess it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to like see a, a little child or like yourself as a little child. It could be like symbolic, I guess, but whatever it is, even if it's just an abstract shadow, you're shining a light on it. 
um, to reveal it, to try to understand it, to try to encounter it, and try to love it. And as I say, love transforms everything, right? So, <clears throat> okay. Your letter to Castle left me moved for days. It really seems like Heidegger feels that Hannah is, uh, Hannah Arendt is um, like his muse and his source of eros almost. The if you want to have me, if you like, what can I still do in the face of such shy and yet so resolute waiting, such persistence? What have I brought you with the most difficult burden, and has it not been a continual sacrifice of your soul? And your quiet, and your shy quiet yes in the train station, and as you forced me away from you, only then were you really close to me, and your essence revealed to me at that moment you spoke wordlessly, completely freely to me. Since that wondrous reparting, which put me in your debt, I have been calm and happy about your life and its certainty and powers. power. Shadows were cast by your surroundings, by the age, by the forced maturity of a young life. They keep Both Arendt and Heidegger keep referring to this. Like, how was she at that age, like, forced into maturity? I don't understand that um just reading about how like what he emphasizes when he describes what he is attracted to in her and he always mentions like like this shyness or this uh this waiting this pushing back and I don't know if this is in all relationships that have an age gap. And I think it's probably different for the younger person than it is for the older person. But I wonder if a part of that kind of eros is, and I'm thinking about, it's, it has to be just a part because there's a book um, by Annie Ernaux. She is the Nobel Prize win winner from last year in literature. She has a book coming out called, in English, The Younger Man. Yes, I'm gonna try. Um, to think what that would be in French. Would it just be like, Le Jeune? Le, I don't know, I'm about So, and uh, I think it was, she was like almost 50 and she was, there was this student that was like college student that was like writing her and she finally like they ended up having a relationship and she talks about in the little excerpt that i read on vogue she talks about how you know being with a younger person helped her relive and uh, yeah think back on the younger times in her life when she was you know carefree and like sleeping on the on a mattress on the floor and having to use a hot plate and it's just it, it just like charged her with emotion and feeling and sensuality okay so I think it has a connection with what I was gonna say because what I was gonna say is I wonder if in Eros there's the element of the forbidden of something you shouldn't do 
and you're holding back from it. So with Annie or No's case, I think it was maybe a feeling of the unconventional, like this unconventional relationship opened a portal to something equally unconventional. And I guess it's just, I don't know. I mean, at the same time though, you know, a rent, and I guess I'm just preoccupied with like the ethics and the morality of this because, and I, I don't, I don't think that we should place victimhood on someone who hasn't like claimed it for themselves, you know, and I think a rent and Heidegger, their relationship spanned such a long time. So she was only very young you know, 19, 20, etc. She was only in her 20s for so long, and then they continued to have that relationship, and, you know, she was able to grow up, and she still, like, wanted to be in that relationship. I just think that even though, and maybe for a younger person, they are, um, attracted to the wisdom and the confidence of an older person, maybe just whatever you you know naturally gather as you as you age. So there's sorry the text. Um, so there's that. But what I wanted to say is uh, I just wonder. If sometimes age gaps are sometimes a source of regret uh, for the younger person as they grow up because I think that there can be maybe potentially unhealthy dynamics with, I mean, with power and um, especially, especially with Arendt and Heidegger since you know, he was her professor, and I'm sure things were very different in the 20s or 30s and 40s, etc. But when was she? I'm saying the 20s, but I can't remember when she was born. A long time ago. <laughs> um, and now I think, uh, helpfully, there's a lot more awareness about how when we're growing up and when we're young, you know, we can all think back, you know, unless you are young, you can think about your life now, but if you're older, like me, you can think back of when, you know, I think back when I was young and in my 20s, how impressionable I was and how just innocent and naive and I think it takes a while to to gather that critical awareness where you can, for, for some of us, you can speak up for yourself and you really understand the dynamics of what's going on. And so, I don't know, this is not really what I have to talk about, like, it's not like my responsibility, I think, to, to critique this, um, but it's just hard to read. And everyone's different, right? 
I just don't think I would have done well in this situation. So, just being personal, I wonder if I should answer this text really quickly tomorrow. Am I busy? I would not love you if I were not convinced that those shadows are not you, but distortions and illusions produced by an endless self-erosion that penetrated from outside. You're startling and... Okay, so, I'm sorry. One more thing. Maybe right now. That's another danger, I think, of being with an older person if you are, let's say, in your 20s. Um... Because the older person is assumed, might be assumed to have more wisdom, and any sort of interpretation they are making on the younger person's life, like Heidegger's doing right here, um, you know, he's saying your shadows are not you, your shadows are distortions and illusions produced by an endless self-erosion. I mean, that's pretty intense and heavy. Um, there are other ways to think of it. You know, maybe she doesn't want to think of that, of her shadows that way. And now she's like overwhelmed. It's kind of like a parent who doesn't have good boundaries and oversteps their boundaries and tries to control how a, a teen or young adult child or Whatever, whatever age they are, they are um, tries to control how they think about themselves and how they think about the world instead of allowing them to experience life at an age-appropriate like state, right? So there's some things that you can't understand depending on your age because you haven't experienced it and you don't have the cognitive ability to, and so. You know, and some parents, and that, and that, you know, can be, can be really harmful. Your startling admission will not undermine my belief in the genuine, rich impulses of your existence. On the contrary, for me, it is proof that you have moved into the open. Although the way out of such existential contortions, which are really not yours, will be long. The background, surroundings, and possibilities of my life were simpler. In terms of keeping instincts under control, attaining objectivity, and managing work easily than that of many young people today. And, you know, I mean, it's also a dude, so. As, and as a result, it has been easy for me to do you wrong even though, and this is also interesting, like he keeps saying like, I'm the burden or it's been easy to do you wrong or, you know, I think there is, I wonder if just from those uh, expressions, if there is a little bit of like 
guilt and shame for being in this relationship, but I also think that guilt and shame can be eroticized. Maybe they shouldn't be, but <laughs> like that's not super help helpful or healthy, but I don't know, I think maybe. I just, why am I like seeing this through a psychological lens? That's the only way I know how. It has been easy for me to do you wrong, even you, by understanding you. But the closeness of your being and now your photographs are so incontestable to me that quite apart from knowing love, I will never believe you could or would live your life in idle experiments. You were so happy today when you arrived, sparkling and free, just as I hoped you would be on your return to Marburg. I was dazed by the splendor of this human essence. Who whom I am allowed to be close to. And when you asked, as I apparently seemed absent, if you should go, then I was with you entirely alone, free of worldly cares and doubt, in the clear joy that you exist. I will be lecturing in room 11 again. Do you know what that means? I mean, I don't. Good night, dearest Hannah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, hold that note, it has a note. Lecture Hall 11 in the old university building in Marburg. M.H. had lectured on Plato's Sophist there in the winter semester of 24-25, four hours a week, which was where he first saw Hannah Arendt. Interesting. Plato. He said, okay, this says, see M.H. in his letter in 1950, page 78 of this, when your loving picture, a photograph Arendt sent to Heidegger in 1950, it looks straight into my heart. You do not realize that it is the same gaze that leapt toward me on the lectern. Oh, it was and is and will remain in, er, and will, will remain eternity from afar into intimacy. Dearest, would love still be the great faith that rises in the soul if waiting and guarding were not part of the experience of love? Being allowed to wait for the beloved, that is what is most wonderful, for it is in that waiting that the beloved is present. It just sounds, it just reminds me so much like, um, of Han. talking about that within arrow like arrows that arrows requires I'm trying to say like all the time distance let me into the innermost and purest part of your soul with this faith what you revealed to me in your diary and in our silently suffering encounter is that an unbroken certainty and security resides in your life. And 
I have been responsible for this shy freedom and your soul's unthreatened hope. And not in the rose's bloom or by the clear stream, not in the heat of the sun on the fields, not in the raging of the storm or the silence of the mountains, all of which happened to little Peter. No, I have forced your shivering soul into something ugly, dreary, foreign, artificial. And as the silence and fresh evening air recently enclosed us, the river shining up to us between the dark tree trunks and the horse's clear hoofbeats going down the lonely street, you were so purely happy in it all. Then I was struck again by how I have made you suffer. That needs a good note. I put your note in your diary pages. It is the original and definite yes to the first of the two questions with which those pages end. How you have found yourself again because you never could and never can lose yourself. And this yes is so gratifying because it expresses humility toward your own God-given essence. And can you think of anything greater than this, being allowed to wait for such an essence for all eternity? line between being encouraging and again pushing your interpretation even if it's a positive interpretation onto somebody you know any kind of oh but you're like this and trying to you're like x y and z and trying to deny, I mean, on the one hand, you know, it is, it is encouraging and uh, I think uh, a healthy or good relationship, at least in my experience, of when like maybe someone is putting themselves down and they're judgmental and they're critical and they're trying to work on their self-worth and the other person generally you know, sees great things in them and, uh, you know, wants them to be more gentle on themselves and so, you know, so expresses that. You know, that, I think, can be a healthy dynamic. But there's another kind of way that that can happen that's not healthy and I don't know if I'm ready to articulate it yet. It's more of like a feeling <laughs> that I've had with other people that um, yeah so I don't know help me articulate that the difference okay. dearest would love still be oh did I have to read this I have no idea dearest would love still be the great faith that rises in the soul if waiting and guarding were not part of the experience of love, I did read this. Being allowed to wait. Oh, did I read this whole thing? <laughs> Why am I distracting myself? Oh, yeah, I have. Okay, oh, he's made her suffer. Dear, dear Hannah, you must have a loving greeting on Sunday. After the concert, I was so moved by being near you that I could not bear it any longer and left when I would much rather have wandered through the May night with you, walking silently beside you and sensing your dear hand and your great gaze, not asking what for and why, but just being. 
How your essence instructs me in this, and how I sense the strength in it. From which your life is drawing, even when you, yes you, a boisterous imp, conquered dances in cinema and society. You said that you were overcome by fear on our first walk. Fear of what would become of it all. But could something still become by then? Everything already was, wasn't it? And won't it always be so? Did we do anything to bring it about? And what can we do but only open ourselves and allow what is to be? Let it be so that it is pure joy to us and the wellspring of every new living day. Elated about being who we are, and still one would like to say something and to offer oneself to the other, but we could only say that the world is now no longer mine and yours, but ours. Only that what we do and achieve belongs not to you and me, but to us. Only that gable and paths and May morning and scent of flowers are ours. And only that all kindness to others in every unforced authentic act is our life. Only that the joyful struggle and the definitive commitment to something chosen are ours. Ours. That can never be lost but can only become richer, clearer, more certain, so as to develop into a great passion for existence. Now you have found your seat. You will not get much from taking notes. Listen instead and try to follow along. I will be printing these lectures in the fall after all and you will have a copy of the essay. Do you want to bring me the George poems you mentioned so recently? So much pure Sunday joy and a loving kiss. I mean, that's the thing about Heidegger. He's super poetic. All right, so let's look at these notes. What's, what are the poems? What are the lectures? Oh, there's pictures in the back. summer semester of 1955. These notes are really interesting, actually. Um, Heidegger lectured as he wrote to Jaspers four hours a week from seven to eight in the morning on the history of the concept of time. The lecture was published only posthumously. In retrospect, Heidegger's statement printing these lectures in the fall must refer to being in time whose first galleys were printed in early 26 on the complicated history of Heidegger's 27 magnum opus, okay, let's see, this other book, okay, oh, a collection of poems by Stefan George, see the following letter, okay, oh my day was so great and so quickly taken from me, this time all words fail me and I can only cry and cry, and the why cannot be answered either, it sinks, waiting in vain, in thanks and faith. Now I will do what the angels, what the angel bids. Since the day it all broke over me, you, the magic of Wetzlar still palpable around you, the flower dreams still in your hair, the sweep and line of the mountains on your brow and the trembling of evening cool in your beloved hand. And your great hour when you become a saint, when you stand completely revealed, when the lines of your face tense, urged by the inner strength of an atonement that sustains your life. Child, how can you do that? 
and in doing so become reverent and great. Life opens itself to, refer to reverence and receives greatness through it. In your unearthly face, in your great moments, between happiness and evening farewell, I gratefully experience what great forgiveness was called into your soul and how you faithfully protect it. Everything your diary relates is there but overcome, not forgotten and rejected, but brought into the authenticity of innermost life. And in the end, you are too shy. That is, genuine shyness is always too shy to make the yes of God who recognized and accepted you, something belonging to your soul. This is making me want to read theological works. Where's my Christ at heart? But saint, may you preserve this shyness um, on your seat. May his yes preserve you. And a philosopher with Augustine, he sees only the child trying to spoon the sea into a little pit on the beach, and he is made helpless to face life by such seeking. So you became the present to me when in it you became the ultimate gift to me. Nothing forced its way into our closeness, nothing merely earthly, blind, wild, and lawless. And I have only you to thank for that, that it was you. Now I carry that in my soul and ask God to give me pure hands to cherish this jewel. And so a great day hovers over my pages and notebooks this morning, and I am reading Augustine's De Gratia et Libero Arbitrio. Thank you for your letters. Obviously, I need to take a Latin class and truly a Greek one for how you have accepted me into your love, beloved. Do you know that this is the most difficult thing a human is given to endure? For anything else, there are methods, aids, limits, and understanding. Here alone, everything means to be in one's love is to be forced into one's innermost existence. Amo means volo, ut sis. Augustine once said, I love you. I want you to be what you are. Now that's a good thing to say to somebody. I want you to be who you are. Well, that's nice. I don't even know if I have a copy of Augustine's Confessions anymore. There are so many books that I've, I've had and just abandoned. It is hard to love, you know, especially there are all of those categories of attachment styles and depending on you know, which one we are, we have some maybe challenges to, to doing that. I mean, it's pros and cons of a solitary life, I guess. Dear heart, that you said nothing after I told you what I had done. We are both people who find it hard to talk but also understand a silence. That helps me understand their relationship, I guess. Thank you for the fragrant flowers which keep a May day of your young life in my memory. And thank you for your poems. And thank you even if I cannot and may not do so for your love. Would you like to pick me up next Saturday, Friday afternoon, wait, is it Saturday? At four o'clock for a little walk through the meadows. Please bring the sheller. I got to see the note. 
Day song by Stephen George. The carpet of life and the songs of dream and death with a prologue. Presumably a work by Max Scheller on Scheller's note in Heidegger's philosophical development. seen each other in years and soon you will travel to my beloved mountains and in, in this glorious may i am not going after all as i need the vacation for my logic and at the moment i am not up to working because of a mysterious cold and our concert tomorrow which we did not even mention has been ruined for me by a meeting but still <laughs> it's just I still rejoice that you are happy and working and growing into things, and in my rare breaks I read your poems, but my longing for you is becoming less and less controllable, Your Martin. I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna be super happy when she grows up. Alright, we have the 50s and 60s. <laughs> so I have to be able for an unanticipated meetings in the evening, hence it will be hard for us to see each other this week, in any case definitely Tuesday the 26th. You'll still be here, won't you? But only after nine o'clock, I will also bring you the letter for Hirschville then. Destroy this note. <laughs> okay, I need to see the note. reference to Tuesday the 26th. In 1925, there was only one Tuesday on the 26th of a month, namely in May. The Pentecost holiday was on May 31st and June 1st. During the Pentecost holiday, a rent was first in Freiburg, then in Interlaken. It is, uh, it is highly likely that Heidelberg stayed in Marburg. The letter, probably a recommendation, is not in the papers of Herschel, Heidegger, or Rent. All right, well, I think I'm going to stop there because uh, I think I need to read some Han, perhaps. I am currently reading A Transparency Society, although, is that what it's called? Something about transparency. Although I've only read a few pages because oh, I've just been unmotivated, honestly, by the weather, and I'm still trying to put my apartment together. All right, thank you so much for listening along with me. And if you have any thoughts, as always, let me know. See you next time. Recording stopped.